Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good evening, Windy. And there's no Nathan uh, this time out, or there might be a bit later. He might drop in some He might drop in some thoughts. Uh, basically, we couldn't get our calendars to, calendars to align, but we also thought we needed to cover the City game because there's so much to say, and this is the best way we could do it. So, first off, Bardi, how did you find the game? Um, it was I was at the match. It was a um, quite a stressful game because obviously they had the ball for large periods of time. Um, ignoring the kind of chances that they missed, it was very similar to the Liverpool match, as in we knew to stay in the game as long as we can, and then to, as we move towards the last kind of final quarter of the game, then we'll push for it and try and um, and try and win it. It's, I think the key thing against teams like City and Liverpool is not to be out dead and buried by fifty fifty five minutes. Mm. And Mourinho kind of he's famous for for keeping a team in a game, isn't he? And then and then turning the screw later on. I felt like in this one, uh, the defensive setup wasn't quite as well. There wasn't such a low block. And in the Liverpool game, Aurier was essentially playing as a, a right winger who then dropped into a back five. That wasn't the case for this one. So we went back to the lopsided back four with Tanganga very much tucked in on the left and Aurier playing a little further forward on the right. The three man midfield with uh, Delhi to the left. Winks in the middle and Lo Celso to the right. That that midfield worked quite well, I thought. Yeah, I thought it worked fine. I think I think Winks had one of his best games in a in a Spurs shirt. Um, I think Delhi was a little bit. I could see why Delhi was there to add some physicality to that midfield because Winks and Lo Celso are both quite slight, despite their being quite um, tenacious midfielders. But I I just think it was a bit. He had a poor game, Delhi, and I think Sun, despite scoring, also had a poor game. And I think their their poor games um, didn't help us in the counter attacking style that we'd set up. But you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too down about it. I still think it was a fantastic result. But yeah, I, I think Delhi and Sun had some. They had a pretty weak games, both of them. I guess the defence for Delhi is that he got absolutely crunched by Sterling. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the replay, but it was a really nasty tackle from Sterling over the top of the ball uh, into Delhi's ankle. And it was a, like, when I first saw it, I thought, this is going to be a bad one. He's going to be out for a long time because his ankle just completely bent under the, under the force of Sterling's challenge. And it's one of those situations where when you see the challenge in normal speed, it looks not too bad it looks kind of like any other challenge and then you see it slowed down it looks terrible so I was not that surprised in hindsight that he wasn't sent off for it but when you saw the 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 first slow-mo replay I was thinking that's a red card all day long did you have a feeling from within the stadium that it was a a bad tackle yeah it's very hard to tell these days with football because players go down and they, they tend to stay down but you can you can kind of judge the reaction of the the players around it and who look at it and immediately you could tell that something something wasn't quite right which was strange considering it was Sterling I don't think he's renowned for putting tackles in like that it was it was a bad challenge I can kind of see why he wasn't sent off and why people think he should have been uh it's, it's a difficult one I don't think it was malicious but I think it was clumsy and a little bit negligent which probably did warrant a red card Mm. And that was one of a number of controversies. So in the first half, we then had a penalty decision, which was unique in the sense that the game carried on for two minutes. 
because the ball didn't go out of play. Uh, let's talk a bit first about the tackle from Aurier. Was it a clear penalty from your perspective? Yeah, I thought I thought penalty as soon as I saw it. But you have to kind of admire Man City. They're very smart, especially Aguero. That it's almost like they uh, they they're telling VAR or the referee. They're saying, "Look, you need to focus on this." Aguero wasn't injured, but he stayed down. He stayed down. He made sure the cameras are on him, and he made sure that this this tackle wasn't going to be forgotten. Because Mike Dean said um, he got the ball, and you know I don't think it was a clear and obvious error. I don't think it was a blatant penalty, but obviously you've seen them givens but they were very smart in the way they did it and I expected Man City to boot the ball out immediately to f- kind of force VAR's hand but when they didn't and the time moved on in in the crowd we kind of relaxed because we all held our breath when we saw the tackle but then as the time went on and on and on we kind of like oh okay it's not going to get called back but obviously we were wrong and now that's happened once, you kind of won't be able to relax because you'll just be thinking, God, as soon as the ball goes out, we're in trouble here. But it was interesting that uh, that was Aurier's second sort of similar challenge in the box. And I think it was Jamie Carragher in commentary said when he made the first one, he made a, a point about uh, Aurier being particularly rash in those challenges and, and desperately wanting to win the ball every opportunity, even when it's not possible. And we've seen a lot of good from Aurier over the past uh, few weeks. I've been, you know, eating my words a little bit. But this was kind of Aurier at his worst, where he's he's too rash. He's too eager to win the ball in situations where he really doesn't need to. Uh, and, it, we, you know, we, we should have been punished. Fortunately, though, we weren't because Hugo Lloris, who actually came off his line a little bit too early, made a terrific save. And he's becoming a bit of a penalty save expert. What did you make of the save? Yeah, I, I just want to one more point, bring it back to Aurier, because there was a tackle he made on Aguero right in towards the end of the first half, which was probably quite rash and everything else. But it was a, it was a brilliant tackle. And he was the one that kind of forced Aguero wide. And then when he ended up shooting, he hit the side netting. So as with as with everything with Aurier, there's there's a good and a bad. And mm. sometimes his rashness and his his willingness to dive in can can be great. But then there is also the times when a, an attacker has his back to goal, like Mane at Anfield, where he should really he should really back away. But um, going to talk about Lloris, it's 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 been great to have him back. I thought by one moment in the second half, he was controlled. He was great on corners. He was a sense of authority, and he was coming off his line. And he's he's proven himself again to be a to be a world class goalkeeper and some somebody that we've we've definitely missed. The next controversy came immediately after the penalty save, where the ball comes out, Lloris goes after it, thinks he can get there. Sterling toes it out for what's going to be a goal kick and then goes to ground. Um, I must admit, when it first happened, I thought that's a penalty. Uh, did you get the fear? Yeah, I had the fear immediately. I thought he'd done a Gomez against Blackpool. <laughs> yeah, that, it did yeah. remind me of that as well. He he was just so excited and he just bounded after it like a, a an Alsatian running after a tennis ball that's heading towards a dual carriageway. He needed, <laughs> he needed to stop and just <gasps> take a breath and then and then realised that the ball was going miles away. It was There was no danger. He didn't need to go after it. And when it wasn't given, we then have Mourinho and Sacramento absolutely hilariously coming off the bench to uh, petition for a second yellow card for Sterling, who's been booked at that point uh, for, the, for the challenge on Delhi. Um, <laughs> what did you make of that situation? It was quite unique. Yeah, I, I think I need to go and sit one game on in the West End and, and watch Mourinho up close because I've done it with Pochettino and I found him just a bit timid. And it, I, Mourinho is not going to change the referee or the fourth official's mind with his kind of antics. But what he does is he 
he creates a question. He puts mm. a question mark in the in the referees and officials' mind to think, did I get this right? And perhaps that has a knock-on effect going forward. Whereas I thought sometimes Pochettino was almost too willing to accept the officials' decision. And you know, it, it's nice. Mourinho is is holding them to account for their for their choices during the game. I, I think we need to see a little bit more of that within reason, obviously. Sure. So we managed to get to half time somehow at nil nil. We've had no shots on goal. Man City had 11. Uh, they've missed a penalty and they, they've missed another sitter as well. The one where it uh, was that first half. I think where Gundogan uh, smashed it over the bar. I think that was no, the first that half. Was the that was the second, second half, half, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they missed the one where Aguero's through on, on the right hand side and puts it wide. They've missed various other opportunities where they've failed with their cutbacks and made a poor final pass. And I guess. Pep's thinking at half-time, we just need to take our chances and, and we'll win this. Mourinho had other ideas, though. He's thinking, right, we've been a bit lucky here. We've we've somehow come in with a clean sheet. Let's try and win this game. And what he did was put Son Heung-min up front and he moved Lucas to the wing. And from my perspective, that had an instant impact on us. I thought Son looked really good or certainly a lot better, a lot more threatening uh, in, that, in that central striking position. And it allowed us to kind of get a foothold in the game. It didn't happen immediately because City came out and they looked good again and they were kind of dominating. And then Steven Bergvin, on his debut, scores an absolute beautiful finish. He's wheeling away before the balls even hit the back of the net, which I always enjoy. Did you get a good view of that goal, Barty? Yeah, it was down my end. It was. Um, I was on the fighting cock yesterday, and I, I've, I've spoken about. Um, it's the first goal really at our new stadium where I've, I've lost my. I've lost it as it's gone in, and it's almost like you. You don't really see it at, at, at the football stadium. You don't see what's happened. You've just seen the ball's gone into him, and then he's hit it, and it's in. And you have that uh, that rush of euphoria, and then as you're settling down, they put it up on the big screen, and then you're like, oh, okay, I, I see it now. I see what makes that even more special. Because at the game, sometimes it's the fact that the ball's just gone in. It doesn't matter how it goes in. And then you take a step back, and it's almost like a second wave of celebration when you see some technique and some skill has gone into that goal. Serious technical skill. It was a good ball to him from Lucas as well. We've been pretty critical of Lucas, but he kind of he plays this kind of angled chip ball into Bergvain, who you know chest and hit basically, and it's 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 the it's the kind of finish that only a very good player can can make. Uh, that was highly encouraging, uh, and then it gets better because just when you kind of start to get a bit worried about whether City can get an equaliser, we bring on Tonga and Dombele, and he finds a beautiful through ball through the eye of a needle to, to Son Heung-min, who finishes with a bit of luck off a deflection, uh, and the crowd goes absolutely wild again, for good reason. I bet you can, you must have lost your shit at that point. Yeah, I mean, not as much as the first one, but um, I think you, you in the timeline, you, you've skipped um, you skipped a major moment where Harry Wink um, who's not been renowned yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for his interceptions even though he did quite a few nice interceptions during this game and some really nice reading of the play including picking up cutbacks and covering in, in the left-hand channel with um, following De Bruyne out there he, he totally reads a corner and springs a counter-attack and he, he charges through like I've never seen Harry Winks charge and draws a fantastic um, second yellow from Zinchenko very smart, very clever Played by Winks, who, as I said at the start, is, was magnificent throughout. 
And you feel then that the, the, the second yellow and therefore red for Zinchenko kind of potentially changed the course of the game? Yeah, for sure. And you could you could see that Mourinho was lining up a this double substitution. I think the Lamella Endobele sub was was coming, uh, regardless of what was happening, which which shows that Mourinho saw that the game we were still in it and it was there for winning. And even when we went one nil up, he continued to go with a progressive substitution rather than chucking in Eric Dyer to kind of fill fill the gaps and hanging on for a one nil, which is an encouraging sign for a manager who's meant to be quite dour. He it was a very positive substitution. Sure. Yeah, I think he did the right thing, definitely. Uh I mean, for me this was uh it's a very patchy performance, but what I loved about it, what I really loved about it was the spirit in the second half. Uh you know, we we really rode our luck in the first half in my view. We we were we got mm-hmm. very lucky. Another day, you know, we're we're put to bed. But the spirit that the team showed to still go forward and be willing to take chances was great. And then they dug in for the last 20 minutes as well. Yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't a tactical formation. This isn't a tactical play that is going to win us anything in the long term. This is all at the moment. This is all about getting the points and trying to trying to finish in that top four. And I, I could see why people can be a bit down about it. And then when you when you figure out that we we surrendered the football so many times and we were punting it long, but we're without our without a world class striker there, and we're missing our best central midfielder. So the, there's there's legitimate reasons why this why we played that way. And I, but people need to calm down. This is I, if we're still playing like this next season, then there's right to be concerned. But right now it was a win against the odds against a Man City team who you know they've scored 23 consecutive away games in a row you know so we kept we kept the clean sheet which just doesn't even happen for us against teams like Norwich so there's positives to take from it there's obviously warning signs that it can't continue like this but it's an amazing result and we're now within four points there was a lot of pressure on us for that game I kind of found it very similar to the previous game against Man City where uh, we drew, but, you know, again, they completely dominated and, and probably should have won the game. Uh, this one obviously was way more joyful because we got the win. And like you said, that's all that matters. It's It wasn't the best performance. I'm not going to pretend it was. The Liverpool performance, in my view, was better. It was more structured and more organised. I felt like we kind of held Liverpool at arm's length, whereas this one, we relied on City missing chances. But there were some moments there. There were some sparks which were exciting. And and, and Dombele's cameo was great. He was really saucy in midfield, trying all kinds of things, playing some through balls. I thought Winks and Celso looked really nice together again. Um, they, they both really put the, put the miles in with their with their running and harrying. And Jaffet Tanganga, I thought, was a, a star again on the left. What have you made of Tanganga's rise? Uh, yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, it's helped him that he's been up against um, mostly wingers who like to cut inside on on their stronger foot and ultimately on his stronger foot. So it, it helps him defend a bit better. But he's he's been great on the ball and he's he's, he's a proper little superstar and, and it's great to see him playing. And um, I just want to comment on Winks and Lacelso. They really do seem to have something something brewing there. Lacelso was exceptional once again. He does he doesn't lose the ball very often he um he reads the game pretty well and he's, mm. he's he's got a great little touch and he sees the pass as well he is a proper player he really is he's um i don't want to speak too soon but he's reminding me of luka modric yeah he's definitely got that he's definitely got that you know the tenacity for someone small but he's also got the um kind of um the, what do you call it the the, the subtlety and, and the way that he moves as someone a bigger chap like a zidane he's, he's a great little chap he's a great little central midfielder you don't get many central midfielders these days that can beat a man and he can beat a man for fun. He really has. He's got that kind of low centre of gravity, mm. uh, quickness of feet, 
Um, and of course, the ability to pick a pass, which is, you know, a huge weapon in our arsenal. I, I'm so excited to see what a, a midfield of Winks, Lo Celso and Ndombele can do for the rest of the season once Ndombele's got fit and got back in there. Um, cause that, that's got a nice blend of, of skills. Perhaps not the best defensively. I'm hoping that Ndombele can kind of, can help Winks with, uh, some of the defensive duties, but the passing ability in that midfield would be, would be great to watch. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I wanted to talk about Harry Winks, uh, his performance specifically against City, but I guess also in the last couple of games too. He has come into some praise, and I think rightly so. Um, and specifically that praise has been on his passing, which I think is something that he has been uh, horrifically over-criticised for. Uh, I think he's a very capable passer on a technical level. I think that his pass selection is, is pretty strong. Um Whereas I do think he has weaknesses defensively now. He has been defensively strong in the last couple of games, um, as far as he has the capacity to be defensively strong. But let's get back to the passing, which is that um, I was trying to think why has Winks impressed everyone, or most people, and, and me specifically, uh, and why has his passing been noted in the last few games? Because there hasn't been any uh, leap forwards in his his decision-making, I don't think or leap forwards in his technical ability at all. Um, I said what I'm seeing is that he's playing forward earlier, not just recklessly like hoofing the ball long, but making that uh, aggressive but smart pass early. He he often receives the ball, takes two touches, turns with the ball, uh, plays a short pass away to receive a short pass back to then play the direct attack. And I, I feel like the instruction that he's receiving at the moment, whether it's specifically to do with him and his game or whether it's just uh, the team instructions, are that he's playing that ball earlier. And I think that does him a lot of good because he's quite... Um, hesitant to make that aggressive pass hesitant is is a harsh term um just not quite snappy not not so urgent uh, as sort of comparable creative passes are so i think that the 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 timing is a really good uh cue for him i use the word cue because it's sort of a like a weightlifting term is that different people respond to different sort of instructions um even when they're performing the same things so you might tell one person to sort of you know drive through the hips or keep your heels down all that kind of 
uh, technical stuff just because different people need those different reminders uh, and sort of directions to help form uh, the way that they do things. So I think that earliness as an instruction is doing winks a lot of good. Um, I was also really impressed with uh, new boy Stevie B. Bergvine, he um, had a really strong game against City. I think he demonstrated his ability as I sort of tweeted before the match, to play on the left, to play on the right, to play both narrow and wide in those situations, and even a, a brief stint uh, up top, which I really liked. Um, the If there was a criticism of him coming to the club, it was of his defensive contribution, um, which is a, a um, criticism that I wasn't too hot on myself. I haven't seen it an enormous amount of his time, um, in the Eredivisie, but it's not something that I noticed was was missing or, or lacking in terms of effort. Um, and I, I feel like the complaint is probably uh, a stats based one that he doesn't have many tackles or interceptions, uh, rather than effort based one. And I, and I wonder if that is just a team style or team instruction coming from PSV. Um, I don't know. That's something for me to go look back at. But um, anyway, the point I'm trying to arrive at is that he put in a bunch of tackles and interceptions against City. Now maybe it's your debut and you want to impress. Uh, and make a statement on any kind of criticisms and it's your first game under Mourinho so we'll see how that goes but the signs on that are really positive. Uh, the boys are about to talk about the transfer window. Um, obviously Bergvine is a considerable part of that and that's a really good opportunistic signing as we said and uh, the boys are about to talk about strikers so I'll leave that to them um, but of course in true uh, Nathan A. Clark trademark style I wanted to talk about defensive midfield um, it's really interesting uh, interesting being a, an optimistic word that uh, we were basically not linked with defensive midfielders there was no talk about defensive midfielders um, uh, basically and there was even a rumour from I think a pretty unreliable source that <laughs> specifically Mourinho has said that he's not or or, or give, given the impression that he's not interested in defensive midfielders and I find that really strange our approach um because when Mourinho arrived, pretty much the first thing he did, well, you know, one of the simultaneous first things he did was bring Eric Dyer back into the team, um, move Winks away from the number six role and then eventually out of the team and, and start Dyer for consecutive games, seemingly uh, in hope of getting him match fit uh, again, finally, and persisted with him for several games in which he sort of got a little bit better, um, but sort of topped out below the required standard and then Dyer has dropped out the team again and Winks has become the number six again. So for me... Those are not the actions of a manager who doesn't believe his team needs a defensive midfielder. Um, so I'm going to be really optimistic and I will say that hopefully what is happening here is that defensive midfield is considered such a priority, such an urgent need, that it's one we think would require um, a considerable portion of budget and therefore not something to be done until the summer when better deals can be made at better prices and on better terms. I'm going to hand you back now to Windy and Bardi, their capable uh, mouths, capable voices. Um, but I'll be back later to chat about the Southampton game, which is happening in a couple of hours. Uh, which I guess leads us on to talking about how we feel the transfer window went in general. There's, um, there's still a lot of disappointment around that we didn't sign a striker. Uh, but we got Bergven, and I think we can be happy with that, particularly after his debut goal. We got Jedson. We signed the Celso permanently. 
We also got rid of Ericsson and Rose on loan. What have you made of the transfer window, Barty? Do you feel satisfied? Do you feel like we could have gone the extra mile and, and got, say, Odinagalo like United did or, or try and find someone to take on loan? Yeah, it's a difficult one. There was there's a, a lot of teams out there with a lot more cash and wages to throw around looking for strikers. Barcelona, for example, they I mean they the desperation where they are having to, having to throw eighty million pounds at Everton for Richarlison and Man United having to take a loan on Igalo, who hasn't kicked the ball since the Chinese um, Premier League ended in in December. You know. So yeah. I, I wouldn't have wanted to take a gamble on Igalo and I didn't want to spend in the kind of money that they wanted for William Jose and Piontek, you know, it would have been, in, it would have been an interesting experiment for Piontek, but you know, I don't think it would have, don't think it would have helped us long term and I don't think it would have helped us short term either. Perhaps Giroud would have done something, but he comes with too much baggage, you know. And mm. I don't know how keen Chelsea were. I mean, Chelsea had their own issues trying to sign a striker. So I think we had a good window. We did what we could. We moved on two players who, even though Delhi said um, that Ericsson was still a good character around the camp, we moved on two players who clearly wanted gone, wanted to leave the team. So that's got to be good for morale. And Jedson looks like a decent body in the def- in, in midfield. So you can't be too disappointed with it, even though we didn't get that striker. And I think you've nailed it. There's there would have been an element of risk with um, with any striker signing. They clearly couldn't find uh, someone who they wanted long term, so they tried to do a short term deal. It didn't pan out in the end. Whether that was the right thing or not, I guess we'll find out come the end of the season. Uh, the, the problem with taking a short term punt is not just the cost; it's the impact that has on the rest of the squad, on morale. Uh, you know, have you got the right characters? Are you just bringing someone for the sake of it? What? How will that make them feel? How that? How will that make the rest of the squad feel? And it's tricky. It's a it's a challenge in itself. Um, I will say one thing I've been really pleased about, and I would say this is that Mourinho's totally changed the the way we we're handling the development squad players. So he's loaned out a load of young players who previously hadn't been on loan which is in my opinion the right move and we're now at a point where all of the players uh, who were above a certain age so basically 20 or older are either gone permanently or on loan he also sold Tashan Oakley Booth and Paris Magoma and you know they're players who I didn't think would be good enough for Spurs so that's great for them it lets them go off and start their careers at Stoke and at Brentford uh that's that's a perfect opportunity for them to to do that it lets them actually become footballers rather than theoretical footballers and it shows that Spurs are not going to just hoard players like we have been for the past few years uh and we've got fees for them they might be nominal fees but we've got fees for them and that's no bad thing so I was really chuffed with uh, how that's panned out as well. Yeah, I mean, it's all... Yeah, because you you know better than I do that this it's kind of gets stuck. The under-23s becomes a graveyard for mm. kind of players never good enough for the Premier League, but Spurs seem unwilling to, to cut loose. And, you know, if the rumours are correct that we're using Jack Clark, uh, his loan to QPR is a kind of um, a sweetener to get Eze in the summer. Mm. And I think there's another player we've also been linked with, and I think someone was spouted ITK about somewhere else. Someone else was signing from QPR, then that's all well and good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the other um, uh, thing that comes about from, from getting rid of some of these development squad players is it then opens up opportunities in the under-23s for some of the better under-18 players. So you're, you're kind of pushing forward players, giving them an opportunity a bit earlier than they might otherwise have had, which is a good thing again. It, we, we're constantly, we, it, basically, we've got a production line again. And I felt like there was lots of stagnation, lots of blockers, people being 
hung on to who weren't really going to make it, but were just blocking the progress of others. Uh, and this feels much more carefully managed. And I don't know if it's uh, Mourinho instruction or whether he's just basically said to John McDermott, you crack on and do what you think's best. But it's really changed from what Pochettino was doing. And it's, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a good thing. The final thing to note, and I think this is crucial as well, uh, is the way we've handled the kind of contract rebels as such. So he got Alvarell to sign the contract pretty early. It sounds as though he's giving Vertonghen a one-year contract. And then Troy Parrott is the final piece in the puzzle when it comes to uh, contracts and contract disputes. It sounds as though it's going to happen. Parrott's going to sign on. And that can only be a good thing. So... Again, big tick from me for the way Mourinho is managing the squad building. I think that's uh, it's, it's, it can only be positive. Um, so we're, we're we're feeling pretty upbeat, right? Yeah, pretty pretty happy. Um, if we get through the FA Cup, then we go into a nice little break in in a, in a positive frame of mind and ready to that push on. We've got the um, we've got the Champions League coming. And yeah, it's, it's not it's not too bad. It's not it's not doom and gloom. We're doing all right. It's not perfect. It's not perfect at all, but. The signs are there. We're four points off fourth. Chelsea are totally catchable at the moment. They don't look they don't look as settled as they did at the start of the season. And we're kind of coming up on the heels. We've got these exciting, uh, you know, pacey players who can lead us forward. But we've also stumbled across a midfield combination that seems to work, plus the bonus of Jaffa Tenganga at the back. So. Mm. Things are looking good, right? Yeah, I, I mean, Chelsea, totally. if you look at them now, um, Frank Lampard is almost starting to second-guess himself because his decisions, his substitutions, he's losing faith in, in Mount. He's now playing um, Claudio, uh, not, not Bravo, Willy Caballero in goal. He's starting to question himself, which is, which is going to happen to a young manager. They kind of, they have their beliefs, which they stick to, and then things go against them and they start they start to um, question everything, which is, which is good. And we've got them in a few weeks. So, yeah, it's definitely all to play for. We're going to finish fourth, buddy. Uh, I think we might finish third. I think Leicester are going to... Oh, no, big dog. <laughs> I've, I've had a theory that eventually Leicester's bubble will burst. And I think they've been on a bad run of form. They lost the semi-final, which they probably shouldn't have lost. Vardy's not scoring. Um, the Turkish guy... Um, Who's so first, yeah, whose first name is Shagri, which did make me did make me giggle a little bit. He's started to lose form as well. So when you when you're reliant like Leicester on, on twelve players to play their best every single game, when a few of them lose it, the, the team falls apart. So third is, is is a possibility as well. Well, I'm going to say fourth, but I, I, I'll take a I'll take a dose of your optimism. <laughs> good, it's it's good. Double drop it. And I'm sure Nathan's going to chip in at some point in this podcast and bring us back down to earth, but uh, we'll leave it there. That's what he does. He's our ballast. The ballast is back, as promised, to discuss the Southampton game. You ready? It was bad. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.ca and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.